Transmitting from the Mojave Wilderness in Joshua Tree, California. Now is the time for Desert Oracle Radio, the voice of the desert. Night has fallen on the desert, and it's been a real moody week out here. Dark clouds and blasts of cold rain. Thunder and lightning. It just feels like something's going on. Somewhere. Everywhere. The Invisible Friend. The Invisible Friend never sleeps. It doesn't know how. The Invisible Friend has come a-knockin'. So now what do we do? Well, we know, we sort of know what to do, some of us anyway. Those of us who have little will do little harm. For many who are first will become last. What is expected of us in this time? Some will never know what hit them. And some will go down swinging. Some will be alright even though they made everything worse. Some will be called during this time, these tribulations... Called for various and mysterious reasons. Although we are weeping, in time we will smile. Let me share something with you, as we used to say down at the church on Sundays until they told us we couldn't hold hands or speak in tongues or actually go to church anymore. Not that many people went to church at all these past decades. I haven't been myself and... Well, do funerals count? Nobody really has funerals anymore. can't afford them. And few will have them in the near future. They are ceremonies, after all. And the only ceremonies allowed at the moment are those of the heart. The work of the magician. The philosopher, the hermit, night work. Let me tell you what this one character said, this one character who lived in a desert land, contemplating the scum and villainy of his wretched era. 
Where are thy gods that thou hast made thee? Let them arise, if they can save thee in the time of thy trouble. For according to the number of thy cities are thy gods, O Judah. Wherefore will ye plead with me? Ye all have transgressed against me, saith the Lord. In vain have I smitten your children, they receive no correction. Your own sword hath devoured your prophets like a destroying lion. O generation, see ye the word of the Lord? Have I been a wilderness unto Israel, a land of darkness? Wherefore say my people, we are lords, we will come no more unto thee. Can a maid forget her ornaments, or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. Yet thou sayest, because I am innocent, surely his anger shall turn away from me. Behold, I will plead with thee, because thou sayest, I have not sinned. Jeremiah From Jeremiah 2, that's in the Bible. The Bible, or... Biblia, as it was already called in Greek in the 3rd century. Book. Name for the town famous for its publishing industry going back 5,000 years, the Phoenician city of Byblos. And today's Lebanon. It's still there on Mount Lebanon, 26 miles up the coast from Beirut, which has also been around and continuously inhabited for at least 5,000 years. Now, Byblos has gone through a few name changes over the thousands of years, but Beirut has always been Beirut. Biblos made its name, literally in this case, from the import of Egyptian papyrus and the production of books. Early collections of the Gospels and the Epistles and Apocrypha were called Tabiblia Tohagia, the Holy Books. The idea of a singular Bible would have to wait for another 14 centuries after the Reformation. If nobody was in charge of Christianity, then what was the authority? Who was the authority? I mean, here on earth. To Luther, it was his approved collection of Jewish and Christian holy books. 
Luther did not agree with some letters attributed to James and John or the book of Hebrews. As for the revelation of St. John, Martin Luther did not like it at all. It was too crazy for his taste. Now, Martin Luther drank about 13 steins of beer every morning, but he did not care for LSD. So he said of the book of Revelation, there's no Christ in it. The book of Revelation is... I don't know, it's like Chapo Trap House raging against the corrupt empire. You might have a little time on your hands these next weeks and months. Good time to acquaint yourself with the building blocks of our particular civilization while it's still here. Read the Shakespeare plays. Read them aloud if you can. Especially if you've got some willing participants already locked down with you. Read the Bible, the whole thing. It's a kick. Even those long lists of genealogy, who was begotten, whom, etc. Great way to find some weird names for babies or dogs or whatever. The Invisible Friend. And if you're thinking, well, I don't even believe in that God or that devil, etc. All I can say is they believe in you. Especially the devil. Plus, the Bible is pretty much a million pages of various prophets and evangelists and hellraisers and bibliothumpers screeching and hollering because nobody believes in the right God, according to them. Everybody's off the path. The society, the kings, the priests, just again and again. It took until medieval Europe for any sort of homogenous following of Christianity, and as soon as that got settled by the sword, well, here comes Luther. They already had the Cathars and another thousand offshoots, and all of a sudden, there's no single religion again, and it's the age of reason. Which is over now, by the way. Let's open up the mill bag and see what we got. I think I'm finally going to have the time to answer some more of these postcards and letters. After I wipe them down with these Lysol baby wipes. Be careful where you use those things, by the way. Keep them above the belt. A lot of people have been contacting me lately asking if maybe they should pack up their bug out bag and head for the desert. I say, I don't know, probably not. I mean, if everybody packs up and heads for the desert, we sort of know what happens. 
Las Vegas or Salt Lake or Phoenix and Tucson, the twin desert cities that have been growing together into one strange and enormous beast that will eventually be called something like AZ-1 in the new times, the A-Zone where they drop the hard cases, the hardcore from cargo planes. One parachute for every three convicts. You all figure it out on the way down. Here's one from Carl Jung, not that one. The one out in Joshua Tree. It's a real postcard. Despite Hume and the Buddha denying the existence of self, the latest musings seem pretty uniquely those of the voice of the desert. Carry on. Hope to catch you at the Ace on March 1, as my wave function becomes ever more peaked around JT. Well, thanks, Carl, and sorry about the cancellation on March 12 at the Ace. We got rained out. Honestly, it has been raining quite a lot out here, and I guess it's a good excuse to cancel without mentioning the invisible friend. Which I guess I've gone and done again anyway. Let's get another postcard. Here we go. From Zenko the Novice. And that must be my pal Jordan at Tassajara, the beautiful Zen monastery and retreat up there in the mountains over Big Sur and Carmel. I met Jordan and Lauren last year at a Campfire Stories down in Palm Springs at the Ace Hotel. They were on their honeymoon, a wild desert road trip. And now they're back at the monastery. Hey, did you know Emperor Ashoka sent Buddhist missionaries all over the ancient world? And then the similarities between the teachings of the Buddha and the teachings of Jesus are likely due to those missionaries having worked in Palestine? Anyway. We met you on Earth Day at the Ace, and I sent you a message from Death Valley during a spooky rain. Lauren and I are now married, have circumnavigated the globe, and are fast with child. Our little rat baby will arrive in early August, the peak of our deserty summers up here at Tassajara. I will be ordaining as a Zen priest this summer, meaning heavy-duty robes all through the heat. So the reason for this message, any advice for building a swamp cooler? Your pal, Zenko the Novice. Well, congratulations all around, first of all. And now the bad news. It might be a little too humid on the coast for swamp coolers to work the way they do out here in the desert. Now, I know you're up there in the mountains. I know it gets drier in the summer months. I've stayed there at Tazahara as a guest before. In fact, the last time I was there, 
it was either late July, early August, about five years back now, and it's pretty hot, and it's pretty humid. I did some checking of the humidity averages, and the closest I could find to you was down the mountain a bit in Jamesburg. And it looks like even on that drier eastern slope, you got nearly 60% humidity in August. Now, that's not New Orleans humidity, thank Christ, but it limits what an evaporative cooler can do. On days when the coastal moisture doesn't make it all the way up to your little valley up there in the mountains, you might appreciate the difference. But remember what we're doing with a swamp cooler is evaporating a water supply over a pad of some kind. Historically, this was swamp moss, Spanish moss from Louisiana and East Texas. The lower the percentage of water vapor in the air, the more cooling you get from the evaporation of your water supply dribbling over the cooler pads. At 50% humidity, you can get a 10% decrease in the temperature. So if it's 90 degrees out, maybe you get it down to 80 Fahrenheit, which is going to make a difference when it's hot as hell and you're, for example, pregnant or wearing heavy monk robes or both. So don't expect an arctic blast. Don't expect what you're going to get from a swamp cooler in the desert when there's 15% humidity. The cheapest and easiest way to make a swamp cooler is to get a trash bucket. An evil old plastic 20-liter model or similar is the least hassle. You'll keep it forever, so don't feel guilty about everything. Then you need some good utility shears, strong scissors, or a little saw, or whatever. And if your quarters are anything like the beautiful little wooden cabins I've stayed at up there, you don't have much in the way of electricity. So get a battery-operated fan, like one of those USB-powered desktop fans. Maybe you need a little battery pack for it. Solar rechargeable would be handy up there. Just leave it in the window facing the sun, and you probably already have that stuff because you live up there. So now you cut some portholes in the trash can midway and put some kind of padding over those holes on the inside, something that can absorb water without collapsing, but that's still porous enough for the air to blow out. Hardware stores will have some loose swamp cooler pads, but other stuff will work. You can find a lot of internet tutorials with a range of options, but basically you want to set the fan in a hole on the lid, airflow pointing down, Put some cold water in the bottom of the trash can and blow that hot room air down into the tub. The wet pads over the portholes will cool that air as the water evaporates and as your air blows out into the room. You shouldn't have to fill the water more than every day or so, but if the pads are dry, it's not going to cool, so make sure those pads are wet and absorbent. Then just point those portholes at you and enjoy the cool breeze. And to answer an earlier note from you that I sadly failed to answer with the old pen and postcard routine, 
I would love to come up and visit and work for my supper, provide some amusement, whatever. We'll talk once the plague passes and the sun comes out again. One more postcard. This one from Sarah. Sadly, I cannot read your last name here, but it looks like it starts with a T. Dear Desert Oracle, I do love your show as well as your publications. Thanks. I work with desert tortoises in the Mojave and appreciate the tidbits of knowledge you share regarding the desert tortoise. Accurate and informative. You briefly mentioned the farm once, speaking of colts, animals, etc., My uncle started the farm. Stephen Gaskin. Complicated things, communes. He was always a great uncle to me. I spend thousands of hours in the desert and have yet to see anything too weird other than the general public, but I do try to look up occasionally. Keep up the good work, Sarah. Well, thank you for that, Sarah, and thanks for helping out our tortoise friends. Boy, that's something about your uncle. The farm in Tennessee is a fascinating place. Stephen Gaskin and about 300 friends headed out from the Haight-Ashbury back in 1971. They wound up settling on some beautiful woodland and farmland in Tennessee, 1971 is still there, one of the earliest intentional communities. I've read some interesting stuff on Gaskin and the farm. I mean, they did it. They went out and did it. Intentional communities are having a a big comeback lately, and with good reason. As civil society breaks down, federal government collapses here in the United States and all that. Wouldn't it be good to live amongst friends and neighbors in a community, doing interesting work, being outside much of the time in the fresh air? there and I probably stayed too long. They wanted to see what was on my desk and my bookshelf. They upended everything but found nothing of interest to them. But it was the signal to move on and I managed to slip away into the desert. 
So let me return to a happier tale. The settlement at Yarrow. That spring flew by with all of us delighted in the work and especially delighted by the place we were creating. I had thought there was nothing uglier, nothing less humane than the ghastly stucco housing developments at the farthest edge of the great western cities. They sat out there divorced from town and nature both, connected by new roads to new concrete clusters of supermarkets and electronic stores with plastic lighted signs over the entrances as the only decoration. For 20 or 30 years, they continued to grow outward, propelled by a mysterious momentum until it all suddenly stopped. Until it all stopped and the people realized the momentum had been not only the cause, but the entire purpose. And yet here, upon the skeleton of a charmless housing tract abandoned after the collapse, we had built a place of community that was open to the sky and the stars and the desert foothills. The largest structure, a gargantuan obscenity that could have sheltered 50 people, but was designed for perhaps four, was designated as the common house. As in all the unfinished houses, we had roofed over this one's exposed two-by-four rafters with sheets of green corrugated metal liberated from outside a scrapyard in Victorville. This gave the little village the cheerful look of a forest camp for school children and was so pleasing to the eye because it was so very different from the concrete red tile that adorned everything in California from fast food restaurants to mental health clinics. Inside the common house, all windows and glass patio doors had been left uncovered, leaving the big rooms not only filled with sunlight, but filled with the view of the mountains rising up to the south. With its sparse furnishings and clean concrete floors and makeshift copper bells in the huge kitchen where we cook for everyone, the vulgar exurban mansion was as serene as a Japanese temple. In many of the houses, the huge attached garage had the only exposure to the sun in view of the mountains, and in those cases, we made the garage the main living room. Our water and our electric ovens were heated by the sun's power. After dark, we use lamps fueled by olive oil, and the nighttime hours were restored to their quiet mystery. And that's a little something from a book I wrote a decade ago called Dignity. No endorsement of Amazon, but you can get it there. And circumstances dictate that I have to remind you all that we have a Patreon, Patreon Desert Oracle. We're going to make sure you have a show every week and we're going to try to do more in these weird times. Good night from the voice of the desert.